This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Dr. Neil McRae, it is it's been a while. Thank you so much for being with us today. Always good to be on uh, with you, uh, Peter. I think it's been a probably two or three months now. So has good to be back. It's been a bit. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. So uh, good to have you back on. And I think we will uh, jump in uh, with our. I we are yep. So just thank you so much for the Warren Posse joining us. I see that we're live over on Getter and also on Rumble. Now we're going to jump into our first story, which actually is going to be our um, basically our interview on Monday, and this is the Parliament this week, Friday, and it is this. Um, this was a picture by Darren Denslow, and actually the, the the most exciting thing about this is our background. So I just want to point out that. So uh, we're going on that to remove all the adverts and flashing lights and all the other stuff you get off known websites. But this is Darren Denslow pointing out excess deaths debate and his comment, uh, which I think Neil and I will sadly agree with, is that no one cares. That is a picture of the chamber, uh, 650 MPs in the UK, about 220 can fit in the chamber, and I we can probably spot maybe 10 there. Um, Neil, well, I, I said we're, we're going to show the, the whole debate uh, or the presentation from Andrew Bridgen and a couple of things outside Parliament, uh, but Tell us your thought, because that is a telling picture, isn't it? And it's the same type of picture we've seen on debates over lockdowns. Yes, it's quite uh, uh, emphatic, isn't it, that MPs do not want to know. And uh, several MPs were written to, probably just about every MP in the country was written to by constituents prior to this debate, because there was a sort of concerted campaign to at least challenge MPs um, uh, to attend Andrew Bridgen's uh, uh, debate. And some MPs uh, wrote back saying, I'm sorry, I can't attend because Friday is the day that I do my constituency work. Okay, And of course, there'll be some truth in that. Others, however, came out more blatantly with the reason why they do not want to attend Andrew Bridgen's uh, uh, monologue on this uh, disastrous uh, and persistent uh, problem of excess mortality. And they said that they do not want to have any association at all with a anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist. You know, that's the kind of thing that some MPs are coming up with, including, uh, just to name one, um, Elliot Coburn, the MP for Carshalton and Wallington. I mentioned him particularly because he was the one who was given the role of chairing the debate following the petition on the government website. 
to have a debate about uh, vaccine injuries. And he was completely dismissive uh, about that. Uh, so he was one who responded to his constituents in the most um, derisory uh, manner. Um, so the actual turnout, as you can see, what about, you know, 10 to 12 MPs, yep. uh, a token person on the Labour front bench and, you know, a junior health minister. And, and, and a few, it has to be said, a few Tory MPs who actually agree with what Bridgen is saying. But no one on the Labour side at all. I kind of thought, <clears throat> I kind of thought that there would be more Tory MPs there. Simply, I mean, they didn't want to speak, but just by their presence, they could have shown support without, you know, damaging their climb up the the greasy pole. Um, and I thought after, I mean, Andrews think this is possibly the 20th attempt to get this debate on excess deaths in the UK. Um, and he's tenacious. Uh, but I kind of expected, I ex I thought there'd be a number of other names in my head that I thought that they'll definitely be there just at least sitting there. Um, but they weren't. And it kind of does worry me because I don't know how far uh, we have moved the debate on, certainly amongst those in Westminster. Yes. Uh, and, and you can see how little uh, progress we've made with um the this this uh this whole um phenomenon i mean mm. this is a very serious matter this is you know tens of thousands of people um since the vaccine rollout have died uh, over and above what should be expected mm. and um so all those lives uh don't seem to count and these MPs, they will know that they're, they will have heard, they will have seen the reports of athletes and footballers, people in their prime dying of um, cardiac problems after yep. having the vaccine. They will know that the, 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 there are, you know, there's a sufficient number of cases where the medics have actually confirmed mm. that the that death was caused by the vaccine. They will know that, but they do not want to um, be seen, even considering the possibility that the very treatment that they pushed everyone to take yeah. is actually a deadly concoction. Mm. So they do not want to be there. Maria Caulfield, I think it was, who was the junior health minister who yeah. responded to Andrew Bridgen's 24-minute um, monologue and she, uh, oh my goodness, her 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 answer. It, it's worth watching just for her answer because it is such a uh, a politician's sort of get out kind of uh, approach. She she says, oh well, there's lots of people dying of dementia, and 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 she even made a passing mention to the uh, effects of lockdown, which of course the government. Imposed. So the, she, in a way, she was admitting that the government had caused deaths. But by lockdown, oh, no, you, you cannot attribute any deaths to the products of Big Pharma. Look, I, and I was I, I have had huge respect for Maria Caulfield, especially on her work on on pro-life issues. And it's a it, I, I don't understand that gap between how you can say I want to save 
the lives of the unborn. But hey, we can just carry out a mass experiment on the rest of the population, including pregnant women. Yeah, uh, it's bonkers, and and but I think we've called into question a lot of parliamentarians and figures that probably did hold in respect at one time, and um, and that is completely gone. Let let me uh, another part of it. this is a, a picture, and I. I went there for the day. I filmed uh, outside uh, watching the the, the support. Um, this is a picture of Matt Latiss and Dr. Mike Eden speaking in Parliament Square in support of Andrew Bridge and, and the trends and excess deaths debate. I It was wonderful to see them. Obviously, Matt travelled all the way up from the South Coast. I'm not sure where Mike comes from. I was kind of expecting maybe 15, 20, 30 high-profile individuals. Um, that that also shocked me. There were maybe 150, 200 people there to show their support in the middle of a Friday. Uh, many people are working. I understand that. But I kind of expected a lot of high-profile commentators who would be backing Andrew Bridgen to turn up. Um, I don't know if you share my disappointment or, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I think there's probably a bit of fatigue, mm. Peter. I think that those of us who who know and who knew that uh, COVID nineteen was a, a, a scam. I mean, w- whether you believe the whole thing was a hoax or, or whether you believe there was a real virus, but that it was exaggerated, whichever of those. Um, I think uh, a- anyone that's gone through the last three years or the best part of the last three years, knowing that this was not really about a deadly uh, contagious disease, but was being done for other reasons. Then turning up to an event such as that on Friday, it no longer seems so pressing, Mm -hmm. so important. And and I'm glad for the people that that did go. Mike Eden is uh, a, a very interesting character in this uh, uh, debate because he started out by uh, being a believer. Mm. You know, he, he believed that here it was, this deadly virus that was bound to happen at some time, and here, here it was. And then he became increasingly sceptical. And he, he went almost to the far side opposite side of the spectrum by outright denial yeah. you know and and not just denying the covid virus mm. but the whole of virology and the whole of vaccinology which of course was a yeah. um that was his work so uh, I, I, I i would always point people to who, who are kind of still unsure about covid is to mm. look at the trajectory of um, the ex pfizer scientist uh, yeah. mike eden yeah, no, I've um, I found him to to be completely honest. I, I was actually one of the most intriguing interviews I've done uh, with Mike because I remember it lasted well over an hour, and I probably asked four questions because I was intrigued by what I was hearing, and I uh, kind of forgot I was interviewing him. I just thought I was there as an audience member sitting listening. He's a a fascinating character, and and his wealth of knowledge um, is certainly well worth listening to. Yeah. Um. Let's well, as I said to the viewers and listeners, that'll be our program on Monday on that. And I think Andrew Bridgen said that he expects to get a 
longer, a three-hour debate on that. Um, and he's not going to give up on this. This is the issue that he is going to fight and fight and fight on. And to go say the hill he will die on, not, not, not literally, but he's walked away from kind of that career in the, the Tory party, which isn't really any career anymore, looking at the latest Bilex results. But that's something completely different. Um, let's go on to something... Yeah, quite different. And this is technology and the takeover of technology, um, how technology is controlling our lives. And this is Amazon trials humanoid robots to see if they can help staff warehouses. A new digit machine could, would be perfect for places designed around humans, Amazon says, but, commi- but commits that it will not steal jobs. Um and actually, the weird thing is that one of the lines in this is is testing whether humanoid robots that walk around with glowing eyes could help staff its warehouses. And Amazon currently has 750,000 robots working alongside employees. I guess they're not all walking around uh, with eyes. But it's, um, it's, again, the move that we are facing, the whole move on transhumanism, on the integration of IT becoming more and more powerful. So I guess this is just a story that we will see more and more often. Uh, yes, and uh, uh, I'm sure many viewers will have will, will know of this uh, uh, magazine, uh, the Viz uh, comic. Yep. And U- the, UK um, viewers, yes. Maybe not in the States, but definitely UK uh, viewers. Yes, well, <laughs> in the uh, uh, penultimate edition was a, a story, um, uh, uh, Robbie's Robot Carer. Oh. And it is an absolute classic, <laughs> and it, it basically shows really what what is happening to yeah. um, society in the face of um, the rapid advances in technology, where increasingly anything human is becoming substandard. Mm. And 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 you know, I, I would go through the the, the story in that um, cartoon, but basically, uh, it's it's an old man who has had a sort of human uh, carer from social services replaced by a robot. And he, he goes to the bowling green and um, um, he, he actually plays a game of bowls against his, his, his robot carer. And of course, the robot carer wins every time. And anyway, the story is, is just uh, absolute classic. But um, I think what this uh, highlights, Peter, is that, Science and technology um, tell us what we can do, but morality tells us what we should do. Mm. And this is one of the big losses of in the de- 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 decline of Christianity, is that people have lost, a society has lost much of its morality and allowed all this technology to come in and for us to be, Placed in an incre- in an ever tightening um, ratchet of um, uh, surveillance and and increasingly uh, uh, bodily uh, control, our jobs will all be taken away. Um, but that's only the start of it. Our uh, hormones will be controlled remotely. Uh, people's fertility will be controlled remotely, and. You know, I think somehow we've got to find our way back to valuing our very human existence. 
Oh, completely. And I think people have given it away because, uh, one, they don't know what meaning is anymore. Uh, mm. Two, because this being absolutely engrossed in technology, which can be a form of escapism. Um, but I guess also the lie we're sold. Well, it is a truth and then becomes a lie that actually we can have freedom uh, by this. It will make your life easier. And I think mm. uh, as as we saw on the uh, digital COVID vaccine cards and then moving towards it actually is just about control. It's not about freedom. Mm. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Too often people are fooled by convenience, comfort and safety. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's move on to something once again completely different. Uh, some weeks our stories follow a pattern, some weeks all over the place and give you a sample. And this, when I, and this is something that I've done so much on um, looking into from the first time I read it in the in the Times newspaper on the front page in 2012. Uh, and this was from uh, a regional newspaper, uh, The Star, and 17 despicable Rotherham sex offenders jailed as part of Operation Stovewood Child Abuse Probe. Uh, the 17 child abusers pictured here have been jailed for a combined total of 236 years after being convicted as part of probing the historic abuse in Rotherham. Now, when I first read this, I thought, wow, there's been a new case, but they were simply bringing together and showing what has happened um, in this Operation Stovewood that is looking into these um, historic sex offences. Um, and they they go through um, 200 arrests being made uh, since it was launched. Uh, and of course, and, and I still would uh, will always say that one of the reasons why this was swept under the carpet was because it's by and large Pakistani Muslim men um, and no one wants to have that on the table. I think GB News have done actually a great job on this in highlighting some of the cases that others uh, run away from. But Neil, sadly, it's a, it's headlines that we see time and time again. In fact, probably I come across one every other week of another court case on this issue. Well, you, you see them, Peter, because you're looking for them. You're aware of this. I mean, if you look at the uh, what's going on at, uh, at the moment in in cities like uh, uh, London, I'm sure other places as well, there are these posters up about these Israeli uh, people that were um, uh, kidnapped by Hamas terrorists uh, and uh, taken back to Gaza as hostages. And so you have these posters up. I mean, I, I've seen them in central London yeah. and people have been pulling them down. And there's all this fuss, you know, about, uh, I suppose, Palestinian supporters tearing down these posters about um, Israeli people. Now, that's given qu quite a lot of coverage at the moment mm. uh, in the media. But you think back to the likes of that seven-year-old girl, I think she was, Emily Jones in Bolton. Yeah. Savagely killed by an asylum seeker. Uh, a woman from Iraq or somewhere like that. Yeah. Right? And you think about just, just by drawing attention to the case of Emily Jones, 
you could be accused of racism, of Islamophobia. Yeah. yeah? And com contrast that, contrast the, the total lack of sympathy hmm. in the establishment and the middle class and the mainstream media for white working class victims yeah. of um, these uh, grooming gangs and, uh, and other um, predominantly uh, Pakistani Muslim uh, men and sometimes women, mm. right? And, you know, contrast that with all the attention being given to people we don't even know um, a couple of thousand miles away. Now, that's not to say that the Israeli hostages or indeed anyone that's been caught up in this terrible conflict in Israel and Gaza doesn't deserve attention and sympathy. But what, why is it that apparently that the lives of some Israeli people attending a music festival are given far more attention hmm. than the youngsters who died in the Manchester Arena bombing. Why do we do that to ourselves? I reckon what, what one of the reasons is it's easier to look far away and find um, injustices that you see rather than look at home because I yeah. I guess at home then you can actually be responsible and change things. So it, it's a cowardly approach. Yes, I, I agree. And, and I know that we're not you know talking too much about the Israel-Gaza thing right now, but... When the Manchester Arena mm. was bombed, and I think 22 young people were killed, and the immediate response of the establishment was to push this um, unity and tolerance and inclusiveness message, and they played the song, the Oasis song, Don't Look Back in Anger. Now, why is that appropriate for the people of Manchester? Mm. But that sort of message is not given at all by the likes of Rishi Sunak, our prime minister, about what the Israelis should do. He's saying to the Israelis, go on, carry on blitzing Gaza. Hmm. Collective punishment. And we were always told that you shouldn't ever, when, when a Muslim happens to carry out a terrorist defense in Britain, we were always told it's Islamophobic, it's racist, to associate all terror, terrorist acts with all Muslims. Mm. We were told that, right? And uh, what, all I'm doing, Peter, is I'm drawing a, a contrast here. And, and as you have suggested just a few moments ago, and particularly in the intelligentsia, in the middle classes, they don't care yeah. about white working class victims of their multiculturalist project. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, let's move, uh, can Projam put up the, the next one, uh, which is on the 70 MPs, uh, demand schools be forced to publish details of sex education lessons. Uh, let me bring it up. There it is. And this has been a ongoing battle in the UK and we have, um, only learned recently uh, in the UK in the last couple of months that actually parents have zero legal right to access education materials used 
in schools. And this is MPs backing a sex education transparency private members bill introduced by Miriam Katz. And a private members bill is a bill that's introduced by a by an MP and not by the government. So often it does not make it much further. Um, but it, it kind of says Rishi Sunak is under pressure from almost 70 third. Under pressure? What, what do you mean under pressure? To allow parents to access education? I mean, this whole story, this whole situation is barming. It, it makes you wonder what on earth the Tories have been doing for 13 years if this is one of the things, obviously, they've been happy to conceal. Well, it doesn't matter if you have Keir Starmer as Prime Minister or Rishi Sunak. It doesn't matter if you have Labour as the governing party or Conservative. Like in other countries, they're all following the same global agenda. Mm. And this uh, subversive uh, sexual ideology is part of that uh, global agenda. And of course, what schools should be doing is teaching the, the, the facts about sex in biology and teaching the relationship and morality aspects of sex in you know religious philosophical education but i would suggest uh, to people whether it's you're in the uk or the us or wherever you are is follow the lead of what some people have been doing uh, particularly seen this in the states uh, going to town hall and reciting from the pages of the type of books that are kept in school libraries now, which are are uh, pushing, um, you know, some really quite abhorrent uh, material, which is mm-hmm. com- you know completely inappropriate for uh, school children, particularly primary school children. Um, uh, we've got to do more of this. Go to your local authority, your town hall, your council offices. Um, Go and confront um, local politicians and uh, education authorities by simply reading out Hmm. what these books say about things like masturbation and so on. Just read them out. And and they don't like it. They really don't like it. And, uh, And I think we've got to keep making them uncomfortable because these are the people who are uh, making the, the rules and the policies. And we need to just let them know. Um, as an aside here, Peter, uh, and uh, relevant to that act I'm suggesting of um, actually confronting, uh, you know, heads of schools of what's going on, is they don't like children taking some of these books home. Yeah. Yeah? And... I'm a trade union representative, and I won't go into detail, but I'm representing someone at the moment who one of the things that that person is in trouble for as a member of teaching staff is taking books home Mm -hmm. from the library because that person was very concerned about the um, repulsive sexual material in them. Wow. It's it's on, but on... And I need to point out to the viewers and maybe those in the US will 
uh, will be shocked. Uh, in the UK also, if you haven't heard this, that this did go to court and the parents demanding the right to access uh, these materials, which in that part of the education are often sexually explicit and you pointed out Neil, to have them read out and the court overruled. The court decided, no, it's much more important that the company, its commercial interests uh, are protected rather than a parent. And it makes, I mean, it blows you away and you think that's what the courts decide. The courts are on the side of corporations. They're not on the side of parents. And I'm sure you have uh, many people involved in the court system have children and it's crazy that they don't see that as a personal issue they should speak up for yeah uh, and of course the court itself is a corporation in in the u.s there's a uh, a gold fringe on the stars and stripes which kind of marks it out as a corporation hmm. yeah it's it's a frightening situation and i i do hope that uh i don't know why it's applying pressure on on a government to let children access the explicitly sexual materials, but maybe it's the government's role and purpose to actually force those upon children um, and put us further into the mess that we are in. Um, let's jump on to another group. Uh, I know uh, this will be a beautiful uh, picture for you, Neil. Uh, this is the... WF anti WF was the uh, was the Twitter handle, and there's Klaus Schwab, um, and when you have the highest musicians and the highest actors there, you realize that sometimes I think people often think the WF, you know, it does some stuff behind closed doors and on the business side and make connects with governments, but when you have the whole Hollywood industry, the music entertainment industry, uh, you realize they, I mean, Klaus Schwab is, is a smart man and he realizes the mediums uh, he can use. So I just thought this, this picture uh, stuck out with me. And I think people need to question where a lot of our celebrity figures lie. It's odd, isn't it, that the World Economic Forum has such uh, publicized uh, prominence everywhere. Mm. And yet uh, commentators in the mainstream media, they, they talk about the Great Reset as a, a, a mad conspiracy theory or even dangerous disinformation, uh, despite the fact that, um, and I'm, you know, they really ought to know that Klaus Schwab <laughs> wrote the book, The yep. Great Reset. Um, so uh, the World Economic Forum is clearly uh, like an executive arm of the, mm. of the UN for the uh, sort of global agenda. Um, a, a local MP to me in Sussex, uh, he responded to a constituent who raised concerns about the World Economic Forum by pretending that he hadn't heard of it. Uh, plead ignorance. It always works, Neil. Uh, ignorance is bliss and plead ignorance. <laughs> Goodness. Um, it, 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 but it is amazing what the public, you, you talk to the public and they, 
they write to their MPs, I think, because they believe that actually you can persuade our MPs, they will realize that actually they were wrong altogether and they actually want our, our common good. Um, but I mean, I, I think that's, um, that's futile, but then people will often listen to what their MPs say. I mean, the, the empty promises that are contained in letters and they're regarded as legally binding or something as just to dismiss, um, yeah, I still think we have that misplaced trust in our politicians, despite what's happened over the last three and a half years. What do you think? Yes, uh, I mean, if you look at the, we, we've just had two parliamentary by-elections in in the UK, and both of them were conservative seats taken by uh, Labour. But to me, this is just moving the deck chairs around on the yeah. the, the Titanic. Um, but a lot of you know, debate and uh, uh, a, 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 a lot of argument in the media about, you know, who's most likely to be uh, taking the country forward. Look, it's not MPs in places like Tamworth or mid-Bedfordshire who are going to be making the decisions about where the country's going the decisions will be made uh, by someone higher up than Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. Yeah. But uh, Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum are uh, clearly, you know, they have a role to act as a sort of a public sort of executive uh, kind of entity. But I think the decisions are being made well upstairs Um even from him and the, the you know the Davos set, um, so um, I, I, I I think that there's still a large percentage of the population hmm. that believes that it's there's some importance to Labour versus Conservative. Just as in America, people still believe that there's a lot of importance as Trump versus Biden, but hmm. sadly. And I, and I know that not everyone will agree with this. Sadly, I just don't think that it makes much difference anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think sadly that could be true. Um, yeah. Well, let the, and those two by-elections were massive swings from Conservative to Labour. But, uh, Neil, as you said, I agree, it doesn't make much difference because life carries on as normal. and. Yeah. The Conservative Party used to be about freedom and liberty and individual responsibility has completely abandoned all those principles and its coercion tactics and control has replaced all of that. Yeah, well, uh, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum, uh, uh, like the other sort of globalist organisations, emphasise that they don't do ideology. Hmm. They don't do political debate. And if you look at the behaviour of the mainstream parties in Britain and other countries of the West, they've abandoned their ideological differences. So they still make a pretense of Labour will still sort of attach itself to some socialist values, Conservatives still about a little bit about free market, but really they do exactly the same. So that the Conservative Party is not Conservative and the Labour Party does not represent the labouring classes. Yeah, 100%. Let's go on to this actually story, which was about uh, what happens when you post memes. 
for an election that isn't liked. And it was an interesting comparison. It's got yeah, it's an interesting comparison uh, to stories. And the story on the left is a, a recent story uh, from 18th of October. Uh, MAGA Twitter troll gets seven years in prison for election interfering interference, seven years for putting memes up. And then on the other side, you've got Rochester man given 180 days in jail for raping girls. And that was the beginning of the year, January 2023. Uh, victims were between four and nine at the time. And it does, I mean, w- we've seen the crazy injustice often of our legal system. And I think this kind of puts it into perspective to show the massive gap there is between with the legal system um, not really caring if justice even seemed to be done anymore, completely disregarding that, uh, whenever serious crimes are ignored and small crimes are put down on, it is a, it's become ideological and not about how serious the crime is, really. Well, it depends what you mean by serious, Peter, because we are now living in a world where having the wrong opinions is seen as a uh, a, a serious offence, seen as hate or dangerous disinformation. And there's a whole industry now about um, surveilling and um, uh, you know uh, punishing people for expressing the wrong uh, views. Uh, what's going on in America, as shown with this you know farcical notion about an insurrection on the sixth of January, twenty twenty one. Um, and, and the unbelievable uh, treatment of those people who just walked peacefully mm. into the open doors of the uh, the, 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 the con- Congress uh, uh, building yep. did no damage at all, didn't hurt anyone. Um, our American viewers will know all about that and feel rightly outraged about the complete politicization of the US justice system. Um, And it reminds me of um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's book, The Gulag Archipelago, where he was a thought criminal and he found himself in the sort of frozen Siberian tundra Mm. in this uh, uh, prison camp. And he uh, found that there were there was a two-tier justice system. So the people treated the worst and were often, you know, worked until their backs broke or they were just starved and they just, you know, they died. You know, goodness knows how many uh, political prisoners, how many uh, skull and bones are, you know, in, in, in the frozen um, uh, land of Siberia t- to this day from um, when they died in these camps. So they were the the lowest of the low, and they were lauded over by um, brutal um, gangsters and murderers and rapists, you know, people who had really caused a lot of harm uh, to fellow citizens and were rightly uh, imprisoned, Um, but they were um, treated as superior to the thought criminals, and 
you know, a, 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 another example from the uh, uh, current situation in Israel, Gaza, Peter, is that our government has suddenly uh, got very uppity about um, the behavior of uh, Muslims in this country. And they've said that anyone voicing support for Hamas will be deported. Mm. Well, there was never any threat to deport men who were gang raping white working class girls yeah. in a room above a kebab shop in Rotherham or Telford or Rochdale, was it? No, it's, it's, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you talk about information and misinformation. Projam, can you bring up the story on Twitter um, on Musk, uh, story it? And this is Musk considers removing Twitter from Europe over EU law. Uh, let me just bring it up. And this, of course, is this is about legislation we've had a past here in the uk uh, europe have had a past and is enacted uh and i think will become wider over the next year uh and this is this is restriction on what you can say i see it as probably the the biggest restriction since the internet was started um on what is allowed and not allowed to say um so musk is considered i know that Telegram, Signal, Wikipedia, Facebook, they have all talked to the EU and the UK government about possibly having to pull out. Um, the the In the UK, it's the online safety bill, because that sounds good, because we all like to be safe. In the Europe, EU, in August, that came into law as the Digital Services Act. Um, not that I think that Musk is the great saviour. I certainly don't, Neil. But again, this shows where we are going, that restriction on governments telling us what is allowed speech and what is not allowed. But it's one of the biggest intrigues of our time is who really is Elon Musk? Whose side is he on? And, you know, I I like to judge uh, people by their actions. Um, But I think you could read Elon Musk in completely different ways. You know, he brought all these people back onto Twitter and he sacked all those woke um, uh, moderators. Mm. But then he took on uh, a a, a WEF leader as the, uh, you know, head of the the company. Um, My suspicion is that the EU wants Musk to pull out and that Musk will be happy to do so. Hmm. Um, he d- Musk doesn't need to make money from Twitter, or is now called X. X. Um, Twitter could more, you know, disappear um, from Europe. And, and even though we've had Brexit, Peter, you and I know that... Um, Whatever the EU does, uh, the British government will do the same. And we've got yeah. our online safety legislation, which is just as bad as what um, the EU is doing. So we could find that we no longer have access to Twitter, um, places like um, BitChute hmm. um, will be in trouble too. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what the EU wants. Um, so, you know, the, the, the EU's 
and other um, Western governments who are clamping down on free speech, they will get what they want because they'll either get companies to agree to, um, you know, clean out any wrong thing on their platforms, mm. or they will, you know, do what Musk is more likely to do and just pull out altogether. Yeah. Um, it is, yeah, it's massively, massively concerning um, mm. as we, uh, we have, yeah, I think we have lived through the internet where there has been freedom to express views online. Um, but this is a, a move that will shut that up across Europe and, uh, the the dissemination of information is essential for any society to exist and flourish and prosper, and uh, this could be the death nail for uh, for Europe completely. Um, but we'll watch it and see. Um, and of course, our bill in the UK will become will be enacted and become law uh, within within two months, definitely by the end of the year. Um, let me finish off with the picture because I've seen this and. Um, Maybe you and I see, uh, we, we probably have diff, differing views on what's happening in the Middle East, although maybe not massively different. Um, and this was a picture David Vance put up at Downing Street, the heart of government tonight, Allah Akbar baby. Uh, this is Muslims praying. The, my, when I see that, I have chills running down my spine because we see the huge change of demographics across Europe. You look at Brussels being 30% Muslim, uh, Paris being around the, the same as London at um, around, I think, 12%. Uh, in Brussels and Paris, you see regularly riots, street fighting, um, and it's that clash. We haven't seen that here yet, but this obviously, prayer in the streets, they Muslims are showing they, they control. This is uh, this is where we belong. We control this. It's a show of defiance and strength. Um, it, it is a a war pose, I think, and not a religious. But then I also think that what's happening in the Middle East is it is a religious conflict. It is Islam's fourteen hundred year hatred of of Jews and many examples of that happening. Um, and what we're seeing really over the last two weeks is a continuation of that that will never end. I've said a lot on it. It's our story to finish. What What are your thoughts on it, Neil? Well, as you know, Peter, I'm no apologist for Islam or some of the, you know, despicable behaviour that we've seen with uh, Muslim immigrants in the UK, yeah. such as grooming gangs that we mm. mentioned earlier but having said that i think we should always remember that the ultimate blame for the demographic change in britain and the west cannot be pinned on muslims themselves on those people in that image there yep. our governments brought this on and this again is an agenda it's a global agenda and it's our governments that must, um, that, that they've got away with it for far too long, that they've sat back and allowed us to um, get very worked up about it. And they've been dividing and ruling, I think, doing yeah. a lot of that strategy. Um, 
but they're culpable. Um, you know, we can't change. We, we can't just remove people now who have been living here for 10, 20 years, 30 years, or, or sometimes more. But of course, they're still letting them in and are letting in more and more all the time. I am completely opposed to that. I'm completely opposed to the Islamification of the West. But having said that, Peter, um, and this will be a difficult message maybe for some viewers, is I sympathize with the people in that picture because what they're doing there is they're praying. They're praying for the people of Gaza. And, you know, I agree with what you, your comment, Peter, that, you know, there's been, what, 1,400 years of uh, uh, Muslim hatred for Jews, and that is clear in, the, in, in Islamic scripture. Mm. Um, that's not really in doubt. But if you look at the specific situation of what's going on in Israel, a country that used to be called Palestine, and the Palestinians have been systematically reduced to tiny enclaves. And now the Israelis are using this attack, which could not have happened without their knowledge. And they're using it that they will, they will probably steal half of Gaza and they'll keep going. And what those people are praying for, Peter, is we, know, we, we don't like to see it. It makes us feel uncomfortable, right? And that's understandable. But they are praying for the innocent people of Gaza. Half of the population of Gaza's children. You know, there are, there's no, it's not a war, Peter. Gaza has no army, no air force, no navy. It has some fanatical militants, yes. But that's probably a tiny number. And people are being slaughtered by this Israeli bombardment. And they seem to have all Western governments on their side. And this is globalism. Got to remember, the Israeli state is at the vanguard of the Great Reset. And look at the way they treated their own people, Peter, yep. Yep. with COVID-19. I mean, we spoke about that before, didn't we? They had the most tyrannical uh, covid regime so all i would say to people is you know, try to understand the anger and distress of uh, the muslim people in the west and the israeli government is not our friend i i agree and i've watched the tyrannical uh use of force um by by the israeli government how they subjected their people to an experiment using Pfizer, all of that. Um, uh, at, at the risk of expanding this, um, I, I mean, I've always thought, well, Israel was there 3,000 years. Uh, if, it depends how far back you want to go, but since King David set up Jerusalem. But also Palestine, I remember, was only a term used by the Romans. Statue removed the term Israel. Um, and no one, and the term, I think, Palestinians was really only popularized by Yasser Arafat. Um, it, it wasn't. And uh, I think Jordan, if you want to have um, the Palestinian people, if you want to call them that, then uh, Jordan is a perfect place. Um, th that's what should have happened, really. The people there should have should have gone. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I'm in one time as honest, because I do believe Israel have the right to the land 
which they first walked on 3,000 years ago. But I also don't want people to suffer. And it's horrendous that the people living in the Gaza Strip are forced to endure their government of Hamas, which is an evil organization that only is there to destroy its neighbor. And I wish the world would actually step into that and actually help the people find a government that doesn't um, actually place weaponry beside a school because it's only interested in war, not interested in the people. Quite quite different from the PA, quite a different approach there. Um, and I wish the people there could just actually have some freedom under a government that they've not had, because they haven't even had elections for, what, 12 years or something. Mm. Well, you know, we've been talking about Muslim migration on this show and many other shows, Peter. Mm. And why is it that the countries of Western Europe and America uh, have to take limitless amounts of migrants, predominantly Muslim, and yet Israel doesn't? I know. I know. Trust me, I have many issues with the modern-day Israeli state and government. Trust me, I do. So, um, I know, I agree. I agree. It it keeps itself pure (laughs) by not taking them in. I get you, I get you. Um, On that, well, let me put up a story just just to give people a smile. We'll not comment on it, just for our U.S. viewers to leave you with a smile and make sure we don't depress you. It was Andrew Lawrence last week that David Vance and I left you with, which was one of Andrew Lawrence's best videos on the Global Day of Rage or the Global Day of Indifference or the Global Day of Myth. Or, uh, very funny. But um, I'll just leave the viewers with this. Babylon B, you, you can't beat Babylon B. And their story, the latest story is Republicans to spend weekend brainstorming how to be even more of an embarrassment. And after another week of taking petty squabbling and gross incompetency to the new heights, congressional Republicans are taking the weekend to brainstorm how to possibly embarrass themselves even further. Think, people, think, how can we make even bigger fools of ourselves, asked Patrick Henry to the gathered Republicans. I know we have it in us. And it goes through and ends up, according to sources at the Republican brainstorming session, the leading proposal to raise the bar next week was bringing in an old, timely revolver in to literally shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly. Like Babylon Bay is, is so good for just bringing some humour onto madness and will not even touch on US politics, but I think it's a perfect way to leave it at I know the chaos you all face over there uh in in the US as Republicans try and make a decision together, which seems to be quite difficult these days. Um Neil, as always, love having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. And people there, your handle is the handle for your gab, uh, which I didn't say before, but is in the description. So make sure and follow Neil on gab. Thanks so much, Neil, for giving us your time today. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Very much enjoyed it as always. Thank you. And thank you so much to our viewers and listeners. And we'll see you back on Monday uh, with that report from the excess deaths debate in Parliament, which happened yesterday um and uh, not only the footage of the proceedings itself but also commentary around it so tune in for that uh, 3 p.m eastern or 8 p.m on the uk so thank you so much and good night to you all if you like what we do sign up to our mailing list 
donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.